Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australian Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scar, I'm hosting today's program. Yes, 38 years later and he's still hosting the same program. You'd think he'd be able to get a new job by now, wouldn't you? Okay, this is it on the Community Radio Network. Now, this program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. If nature calls, if you're my age bracket and nature calls frequently, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Dot org dot au. We've got the normal type of programming today. Bits and pieces, things we're doing, things we're not doing, things we'd like to do. But again, it's really up to you whether you're listening or move on. Life's short, as we all know. It uh, runs away before you know it's finished, so it's up to you what you do. Okay, now, let's start off. Now, there are some days living in the land of Oz, the land of milk and honey, the land of opportunity, that you think, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. Now, one of these great moments occurred in August 2013 when the dear Mr Tony Abbott became Prime Minister, when our great hero, Mr uh, Rupert Mod- Murdoch received an $886 million tax refund from the Australian Tax Office. Not only did he receive an $886 million tax refund while making hundreds of millions of dollars of profit, most quarantined overseas, obviously, he, the uh, Australian Tax Office didn't even bother to appeal the decision. Didn't even bother to appeal the decision because they knew. They knew they didn't have the legal apparatus, the legal armaments, the legal guns to get that money back. Now, yesterday, or the day before, I'm not exactly sure, we had another one. We get, Now, Mr Murdoch continues to hold the gold medal as a 24-carat leaner. But yesterday, another Australian corporation did something which I think is extraordinarily wonderful. Extraordinarily wonderful. And I've noticed it's not front-page news, but... Now, Chevron Group. Now, you may remember the Chevron Group, those of you who still watch TV. For months, maybe even a year, we had these wonderful ads of really nice, pleasant people telling us what a great corporation is. I think it's into liquid gas or something. What a great 
corporate citizen they are and how it's wonderful working for them and all the wonderful things they do for the community. Well, they made a $1.7 billion profit. Fair enough. Not much compared to the uh, the big four banks. But this is what I like. And this is what I like about living in Australia. They paid $257 in tax. And if you do your uh, calculations, that's point naught 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 two percent And they did it legally. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? Here we are, we live in the land of Oz. Isn't it wonderful? It was done legally. When Mr Rupert Murdoch received his $886 million tax refund, courtesy of the Commonwealth Government and the Australian Tax Office in 2013, while making hundreds of millions of dollars of profit, he did it legally. That reminds me, I'd just like to thank all those people who've been involved in the Resist Murdoch's Minions campaign in Melbourne town. Now, we made a number of decisions. Again, there were four or five police there, you know, for, what, 25, 30 people. Just extraordinary. We did ask them to go in and uh, collect our $886 million tax so we could give it back to the uh, tax office. But with 20%, 10% interest a year, it's almost a billion dollars now. But they refused. I don't understand why. I mean, they are the people's servants, aren't they? The police, the people's servants. Maybe I've went to the wrong school. Well... We've made an in-principle decision that we'll be back. We'll be back in February in bigger and better numbers. But instead of going in the morning, we'll be going in the afternoon. That's right, in the afternoon. So on the first Friday in uh, February, we'll be there. We'll tell you more about it as a bit closer. We've got lots and lots of things to do. But the thing is, if you live in other parts of Australia and you want to show your disgust, well, there are Murdoch branches across the country you can pick it think about it don't leave it to us just us poor people here in melbourne now moving on moving on now we have seen over the last 10 days one of the greatest propaganda coups in the history of this country i was really impressed every day i get more and more impressed by our great leader mr turnbull smooth they used to say Ronald Reagan was Teflon, smooth. Ronald Reagan had nothing in comparison to Mr Turnbull, smooth. The lad knows how to string two words together and he knows how to look concerned. And that is a very important ability. Now, Mr Abbott could never do that, unfortunately for him, although he thinks he's going to be Prime Minister again. You know, he equates himself to the great, you know, Robert Menzies. He's going to be another Robert Menzies and get us and gets a second thing at the uh, pie. But we'll make sure he doesn't. That's another matter. But getting back to our smoothie, smoothie, Malcolm, Malcolm, the corporate world's pin-up boy. Now, Malcolm has always been smooth, you know, smooth operator. And I loved the way every single major issue facing this country has been wiped off the media map, has been brushed aside by the fourth estate, both the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC. We've got this debate now about the GST, the Goods and Services Tax, and it's all about the GST, 
the GST. We all know about the GST. But the whole purpose, the whole purpose of having this fake debate about the GST, whether it becomes an election issue or not, is to brush aside, brush off the table all the other important political, social and cultural issues which face us today. And if we do have an election campaign late next year based on the GST, which is they would like to do, what we will see is every other major issue ignored. Great propaganda coup. Brilliant propaganda coup. Especially when you've got the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC oozing love for Malcolm Turnbull and the same Liberal government which gave you the 2014 budget. But we won't harp on that. So what are the issues that are important? I mean, they can have their pathetic debate about a GST, the pathetic debate about the GST, but it doesn't change the issues. And as I said last week, this debate about a GST is to deflect attention from corporate Australia. It's to deflect attention from the corporate class. It's to deflect attention from the fact that these 24-carat gold leaners are ruining this country. And they're ruining this country by not paying their fair share of tax. And now we've got new rules, which mean that uh, corporations which have more than a $100 million uh, turnover won't need to publicly declare how much tax they pay. So we won't know that the Chevron Group paid two hundred was it fifty seven dollars tax plus or minus a, you know ten dollars here or there from a one point seven billion dollar profit. We won't know that next year because it'll be you know confidence. It's kept in reserve to protect the rich and powerful. So let's look at it. Let's look at it. Fox, 21st century Fox. Murdoch's one arm here in Australia and the world. In Australia pays 0.75% tax. News Corporation, which loves, loves to carry on, you know, Murdoch's other arm, carry on about welfare bludges and disability support slackers and single parents having, you know, Kids to get bony bonuses, love it. And I think if you uh, look at its uh, front pages today, it's the same stupid, crappy story. Doesn't pay tax. They receive tax refunds, as in 2013. $886 million, courtesy of the Australian taxpayer. Then we have, you know, Dex's Property Group, less than 5% tax, owns $18 billion of prime office real estate in this country. You've got IKEA, that Swedish multinational, 3% tax. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And the wonderful thing is they do it legally. L-E-G-A-L-L-Y. They don't need to cheat. They don't need to do anything illegal because the taxation laws are so slack as far as the corporate sector is concerned that they just pay what taxation they think they should pay. And if Chevron thinks they should pay 274 or $54, or 
Well and good. And if Murdoch thinks he needs a tax refund, well and good. Obviously the man's got needs now that he's got a younger girlfriend, doesn't he? He's got needs. He needs a new yacht. But I don't want to personalise this, but the thing is, this is Australia. So why the GST? The GST is very simple. It's a simple way of imposing tax on those least able to afford it. Those who normally don't pay tax, the 33% of Australians who are on Social Security benefits. You increase the GST from 10% to 15%, you increase their taxation by 50%. Simple. So if you've got a problem with spending, and if you've got an issue that if you try try to uh, cut back the welfare budget more than it is today and you try to get a disability support pension in 2015 and you'll find out how hard it is that if you try and there'll be a little bit of public dissatisfaction a little bit of public moaning a little bit of public groaning so what you do is you don't ex- you don't upset your corporate mates now that one of their own is Prime Minister of Australia. I mean, this is the, bad, the problem with Tony Abbott. He never actually understood, you know, how corporate, you know, movers and shakers kind of act. He was a little bit of a country bumpkin compared to Al Malcolm, urbane, urbane suave city boy. So deflect the debate. No debate about public education. No debate about the fact that the public education system is so understaffed, so understaffed, underfunded, that that 25% of children are not even achieving a 12th grade education. Extraordinary figures for a so-called developed Western nation. And then we got public housing. Public housing, what the little that's left of it is about to be guillotined given away to the not-for-profit sector. Now, if you are interested in public housing and you live in Melbourne, there is a forum. There's a public housing forum on Tuesday the 17th of November from 5pm to 7pm. That's Tuesday the 17th of November, 5pm to 7pm, at 26 Mahogany Avenue, Frankston North, which is the neighbourhood house. Now, Julie Jones, a long-term Frankston resident and foundation member of public and a foundation member of public interest before corporate interests, has been able to organise a meeting that includes all the political representatives of the Frankston electorate. We've got Mr. Bruce Bilson, Tony Abbott fan who lost his uh, cabinet seat when uh, the urbane, suave Malcolm became prime minister. Frankston Federal Liberal Member for the House of Representatives will be at the meeting. I think Bruce is desperate. Paul Edbrook, State Labor MP for Frankston. The Member of the Legislative Assembly will also be at this public meeting. Nina Springle, the Victorian Greens Legislative Council South East Metro Metropolitan Member will be there. Glenn Atkins, a Frankston Local Councillor, will be there. April Bragg, the convener of the Housing for the Age Group, will be there, and yours truly, Dr. Joseph Toscano, will be representative. The national will be representative public interest before corporate interest. I'll be there as the national convener. Now, this is a public meeting that's important because public housing 
one of the single most important issues in this country, the fact that more and more people are finding it exceptionally difficult to keep a roof over their heads. And if you're on a Social Security benefit, you can pay 50 to 60% of your benefit on rent. And if you're renting, and an increasing number of people have been forced to rent, with the fact that investors have now basically cornered the... uh, private housing market and we've seen an increasing rents and more importantly you know it's becoming more and more difficult for people to become involved in um, get a actually get their foot on the mortgage bandwagon so it's an exceptionally important issue and i'll give you a few examples now people say there's no money for public housing well public housing is essential not just for people who are in desperate situations, for people on low incomes, because public housing, the rent you pay on a public house is twenty normally twenty five percent of your income, unless you, you know, you're part of this not for profit thing that's getting a lot of public housing now given to it, where rents can be thirty to thirty five percent of your income. But that's a, a different story. But getting back to this public housing now, public housing shouldn't just be for people in desperate. Situation, and it shouldn't just be, you know, concentrated geckos, we, ghettos. We should actually have, you know, spot purchasing across the country to provide housing, one stable, secure, safe housing for people who cannot, cannot actually get into the private housing market because of their low wages. And we've got to remember that although we hear stories about cleaners getting $3,000 a week, and that's the latest one I heard, tut, tut, you know, the majority of Australians who are working usually earn less than $1,000 a week, less than $1,000 a week. So getting back to this public housing forum, it's important. So <coughs> what are ways that you can actually fund public housing? One... Simple. If you are a developer and you're involved in, say, developing anything more than 10 units or 10 houses in a particular suburb, one in 10 is reserved for public housing. End of story. That's your payment. That's your payment for your development. Simple way of ensuring the public housing stock increases. Another thing you could do at a state level, now you may, as you wander around the city, you may see... Stamp duty excluded. If you buy this apartment, you know, or you buy this development before it's completed, you don't have to pay stamp duty. And stamp duty is quite, quite massive, especially in Victoria and a lot of other states. So why not remove that exemption? And developers pay that stamp duty, and that stamp duty goes into a central pool to build more public housing. So there are creative ways of looking at this issue. There are creative ways of raising funds for public housing. And what raising funds for public housing does, and what these people don't seem to understand, it puts downward pressure on house prices and it puts downward pressure on rents. Because the more people who move into public housing, the greater the pressure on landlords and landladies to decrease rents because there are there will be an excess of private rental accommodation. 
And if there's an excess of private rental accommodation, it means that you uh, remove the speculator from the housing market or diminish their input into the housing market, and that actually drops housing prices. So some people, more people, can actually, you know, get a mortgage to buy a house. So this is the beauty about promoting a mixed economy where you've got public and private, where you've got a strong public sector. As we saw in the banking sector, when the Commonwealth Bank was privatised, what happened? What happened? Well, you know what happened. Fees and charges went through the rockets, through the sky. When you when you look at banks' profits, you'll find 20, 25, 30, 35, 40% of their profits don't come from smart investment decisions, but they come from fees and charges. So having a, a strong public sector in any field of human activity puts downward pressure on the private sector to decrease their prices. So that's the issue. So this public housing forum, as I said before, you're all welcome, no charge, turn up, see a uh, federal member, a state member, uh, two state members and a local councillor, you know, try, try to debate the issue of public housing, one of the most... uh, one of the areas which needs public housing, the Frankston electorate. So it's 5pm to 7pm. Speakers will be limited to, uh, they'll they'll speak from 5pm to 6pm. This is a participatory meeting. It depends on people's participation, their ability to ask questions. From 6pm to 7pm, it's time to ask questions. But I think what people need to understand is that if you don't put pressure on political representatives, all they will continue to do is represent corporate interests because people have forgotten that we are the people we've been waiting for. Yeah, that's right. So if you want to turn up, turn up. 26 Mahogany Avenue, Frankston, North Frankston, 5pm to 7pm. That's North Frankston in Melbourne. It's at the Mahogany Avenue Neighbourhood House. Plenty of guest speakers. All we need is you. As I said before, the meeting is a private initiative. It's been organised by Julie Jones, a long-term Frankston resident and a foundation, foundation member of public interest before corporate interest. And if you're interested in public interest before corporate interest, it's alive and well. Membership is approaching 350. At this rate, we'll be able to register as a political party sometime early next year. We need more members. We need more members. Now, I am sick and tired of people ringing me up and saying, or sending me an email and saying, this is my complaint. And I say, well, what are you going to do about it? And they say, oh, I'm going to ask somebody to, you know, you know, do it on my behalf. Well, that's the problem in this society. That's the problem. We're all waiting for somebody else to do something. What we've forgotten is that we are the people we've been waiting for. What we've forgotten is the corporate classes are so rich and powerful because we have allowed them to usurp the power of parliament. We have allowed them to corrupt the parliamentary system. And we've done that by sitting on the sidelines, by begging and beseeching, by waiting for somebody to do something about us. We're great at being consumers, carping consumers, but when it comes to being active participants in the democratic process, unfortunately, as a society, we are always wanting. And that's why public housing isn't a huge issue and that's why public education isn't a huge issue and that's why you know public health isn't a huge issue and the list goes on and on and because we allow this state 
of affairs to continue unabated. And every time we leave it to a political representative, we leave it to our corporate masters, we leave it to the person down the road, we leave it to a radical activist, we leave it to a lawyer or a priest or a minister or somebody else, you know, some religious leader to do our work for us, we get sold down the creek. And that's what happens consistently. So stop complaining and start doing. If there's nothing in the world you like, if there is no organisation that fits your needs, create your own organisation. But carping consumers, not welcome. And that's what they've done. That's what's happened. We have now created a society of carping consumers, not active participants. Because democracy is much more than casting a ballot every three to four years. It's about becoming involved in discussion, activity, social and political movements to ensure every Australian receives a fair go, not just the corporate sector. Now, I'd just like to develop the ideas that I raised about class last week. Because a lot of people say, class? What are you talking about? I went to class 20 years ago. Well, let's look at class in Australian society and most of the world. There are four main classes, and I'll kind of look at this closely because I think we need to move away from the 20th and 19th century concept of class. We need to look at a 21st century concept of class, which actually... Uh, denotes the reality we face every day. Now, I've never been a great believer in the you know the 1% crap. We've got the corporate class, and that is the 1%. That's your corporate class. Your CEOs, you know, taking home their multi-million dollar payments, you know, exercising power, usurping the power of parliament, you know, corrupting the political process, ensuring that they... And their needs only are what are debated in Parliament, that legislation is passed to ensure that people like Murdoch get their $886 million tax refund and Chevron pays $275 tax on $1.7 billion profit, legally, of course. I mean, I wouldn't want to cast aspersions on these, on, you know, these organisations. I mean, we've got that. They're the corporate class. That's your 1%ers. The people who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And then you've got what I describe as the corporatistas, the investment classes. Those, the investment class, that part of society, which is about 20% of Australian society, that aspires, that aspires, that worships the corporate sector, the corporatistas, you know, the little corpora, little corporate folk who think one day, if they do the right thing, they'll have the same power as Murdoch and Chevron and, you know, it goes on and on. Well, the corporatists, the investment class, make most of their money from investing money, money they've inherited, money they've, you know, they've made, you know, through high-paying jobs. And these people, it's about 20% of Australian society, do exceptionally well, exceptionally well. They are the corporate class, you know, major allies. They're the ones that control the corporate media. They're the ones that find themselves in positions of authority and management in the corporate, you know, in the government guild at ABC. They're the ones in those high-paying positions in the public service. I mean, you can sell your labour and still make extraordinary amount of money. They're the ones that employ other people. This is your investment class. They've got enough disposable income to actually 
take advantage of the corporate-friendly regulation in this country. They can actually take advantage of the fact that uh, billions of dollars go to private schools and they can send, uh, public money goes to private schools and they can send their kids to private schools. They take advantage of the fact that $7 billion every year goes into the private health insurance industry and they can take out private health insurance. Not, you know, a lot of working people also take out health insurance and many people who are on Social Security because they are quite concerned about the parlous state of the public health system. They're the ones who use the negative gearing laws to minimise their tax legally, buying one house, two house, three house, four house. They're the ones that, uh, you know, use this government's uh, investor-friendly stock market, uh, you know, rules to uh, buy stocks and shares. So most of their income, not all in many cases, but most of the, a significant proportion comes from investment. This is the investment class. These are the little capitalists. These are the ones that the corporate sector relies on to keep the rest of us, you know, at bay. Then you've got the working class, the traditional working class. Now, many people in the working class, some people in the upper echelons of the working class are also a part of the investment class. Let's not get this, let's get this right. If you sell your labour and you receive a very good income, what do you do? You send your kids to private school, you buy private health insurance, you buy a second home, take, you know, you take account of the, of the negative gearing laws and the list goes on and on. So the working class today consists of those workers who, apart from superannuation, which is invested on their behalf, who use most of their income to pay their bills, pay their rent, pay their mortgage, send their kids to school, you know, get food, blah, blah, have a holiday, etc., etc. That's the working class who don't have enough disposable income to invest in, uh, like the investment class does, to invest and make money without using other people's labour. And then you've got the 30, and that's about 40 to 45% of the Australian population, the traditional working class. And then you've got Social Security beneficiaries, which make up over 30, about 35% of the population, old age pensioners, disability support pensioners, people on unemployment benefits, people on single parents' benefit, people who rely on the state to assist them. Now, they've got no options, no options whatsoever. Now, the problem in Australian society is that although you can divide Australian society into four distinct classes, the corporate class, the investment class, the working class, and and people on Social Security benefits, you can do that. The problem is that many people, because of the constant propaganda, constant 24 hours, seven days a week propaganda, kind of think they are different. Kind of think that the Malcolm Turnbulls of the world are ones that have got the answers to their problems. And the reality is they don't have any answers to anybody's problems. So these are issues that face us every day. So don't get sucked into the 1%. That if we get rid of the 1%, it'll all be hunky-dory. It's not the 1%. It's the 21%. And it's a different interpretation of class. But it's real. It's real because what money does in a capitalist society, it gives you options. If you're on Social Security benefits, you have minimal options. If you're working and you're in a good job and you make a reasonable income, you've got options. You can have that holiday once once a year or twice a year. If your income is poor, you don't have that option. 
If you're part of the investment class and you do well for your investments, pay minimal taxation, you know, you can live a very good life. And if you're part of the corporate class, well, it's the yacht and the Learjet for you. So that's the issue that we face. Australia is a different type of world. Not every small business is part of the investment class. There are many small businesses which only make enough money, especially micro-businesses where they have no no employees, who just make enough money to meet their commitments. So when you look at the traditional class analysis and you look at this class analysis, there is much more leeway in terms of movement, in terms of how to look at things. But it's very simple. The corporate class dominates political activity, dominates political debate, dominates the parliamentary system, has usurped the parliamentary system for its own interest. The investment class goes along for the ride, knows that if they got that disposable income, there are mechanisms, there are things they can do to minimise their tax legally and actually enjoy life. The working class, well, you've got to work in order to pay your bills, and if you're lucky, at the end of your life, maybe you become a self-funded retiree and enter the... Uh, investment classes. And last but not least, those 33% of Australians on Social Security benefits, bad luck, boys and girls, bad luck. That's the way it goes. And, uh, you know, it's going to get worse. So what do you do? What do you do? You hang around waiting, 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 waiting for somebody else. You hang around for a little bit of justice. You hang around for the legal system to look after you. You hang around for your political representatives to do the right thing by you. No. What you do is you create the political and social agenda which puts these issues back, back in the public arena, puts the issue of public housing, as is happening at the Public Housing Forum on the 17th of November, back on the public agenda, puts the issue of public health. I mean, isn't it interesting health? Uh, Madam Lee the Federal Health Minister, talking about private health insurance. How about how about public consultation regarding the destruction of Medicare? Hmm? How about a public com- conversation regarding the destruction of the public health system? Doesn't exist. Her first priority is to look at the private health insurance system, see if we can make it fairer. And the list goes on and on. So if you want to put these issues back on the public agenda and not be seduced by a debate about the GST and not be seduced about, you know, other debates which are occurring, well, you need to put them on the public agenda. Unless you put them on the public agenda, they will not become issues that will be debated and taken seriously by the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you want to leave messages, 0439 395 489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. Go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. You can write to us. Yes, we do still answer letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Have you noticed that if you're not computer literate or you decide you're not into the computer world that you don't exist? You just don't exist as far as public radio is concerned. You don't exist as far as uh, many interactions in the community go. You just do not exist. And as they try to force you 
into that realm. Think about the reason why they're trying to force you into that realm. Think about it closely. As I said before, we try to create at the Alex Institute a, a series of events and get involved in a series of actions which create a culture of change. And the 11th of November is an important day. And it's a very important day in Australian history. And my belief is that uh, it's almost as important as Eureka Day, the 3rd of December. And I'll tell you why it's important. And it's important for four very important reasons. It's important for reasons, main reasons. And the first reason is on the 11th of November, 1854. That's right. The 11th of November, 1854, the Ballarat Reform League was formed. The Ballarat Reform League? What are you talking about, Joe? Well, the Ballarat Reform League was the organisation that was behind the Eureka Rebellion, which occurred three weeks later on the 3rd of December, 1854. So the Ballarat Reform League was instrumental in creating a radical presence in this country, instrumental. So today, 161 years ago, the Ballarat Reform League was formed. Now, the 11th of November, 1880, marks the execution of Ned Kelly. The 11th of November, 1880. Now, just in case you think that Mr Kelly and his gang were just crims, killing police officers, stealing from the poor, you know, creating mayhem for the sake of creating mayhem, think again. 30,000 Victorians signed a petition to try to prevent the execution of Ned Kelly and on the night of his execution 6,000 people crowded around the uh, old Melbourne jail in order to vent their spleen. Now, the Ned Kelly gang was uh, active 24 years after the demise of the Eureka Rebellion. It's no accident they were active at that period. And they're active at that period because there was a lot of great deal of support for the Ned Kelly gang in the Victorian regional areas because people don't seem to understand that it was the police, the Victoria police, who were instrumental in the Eureka Massacre. It was the police who for hours after the Eureka battle went around killing people on the Eureka gold fields for hours. And most of the casualties occurred after the battle had ended. When people who were wounded were slaughtered and people, other people were slaughtered just for the sake of being slaughtered. So there was a great deal of distrust between the Victoria Police and especially the Irish community. And it's no accident the Ned Kelly gang continues to be remembered, you know, 100, was it 140, 150 years after the events. So that's the 11th of November, 1880. Then on the 11th of November, 1918, we have Armistice Day, the end of the First World War, a war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet for the glory of God, king and country, a war which saw the unnecessary deaths of over 62,000 Australians on the European killing fields, a war that saw another 60,000 die of their war wounds within 10 years of them returning, a war which forever changed the nature of Australian society. So on Armistice Day, we remember. We remember the war dead. We don't remember, you know, why they died. We remember the war dead. So Armistice Day continues to be a small part, but an important part of Australian society. 
And then last but not least, we have the 11th of November 1975, which we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of. And it, I, I never, am, never cease to be amazed by people's attempts to change the historical account. Now, the 11th of November 1975 happened for one very important reason. The Whitlam-led Labor government, as far as the corporate class was concerned, as far as the movers and shakers are concerned, as far as those who exercise power in our society are concerned, had gone too far in the struggle to create an egalitarian community, and they need to be removed. And I had to laugh, laugh, when I see a few old hacks from The Australian put out a novel saying it's all about a personality disorder, you know, of the Governor-General Kerr. It's his personality. It's got nothing to do with wider historical events. And information has now come out, which everybody knew in 75, that this was a conspiracy. Forget about the CIA. This was a conspiracy to remove an elected government where the Governor-General didn't even bother to contact the Queen before he dismissed the Whitnall-led Labor government. This was a pivotal moment in Australian history, but more important has been the attempts to write and rewrite the facts, and the facts are very simple. When the people of this country become angry enough to elect a reformist government into power, and that reformist government attempts to put in place the reforms that the people demand, they will be removed from office. And that's what happens. Destabilisation for years. Even when you've got mild reformist governments like the Rudd or Gillard government, we see wall-to-wall, 24-hour destabilisation. For example, look at Mr uh, Bill Shorten, cleared by the Royal Commission into Corruption to Trade Unions, cleared by the Royal Commission into Corruption to Trade Unions, cleared later on a Friday afternoon. But for weeks, for months, for years, we had this concerted campaign to actually try to destroy these people's reputation, not because because they are ahead of a political party, which is a mildly reformist political agenda, milder than mild, you know, like that mild cheese you buy that's cheap and nasty. So this is what happens. So when you get a government that's been forced by people, by the electorate, elected on a radical reformist agenda, a government which ensured that Radio stations like Community Radio 3CR and every other independent radio station, community radio station in this country exist as a mechanism by which to water down the 24-hour you know, litany of lies we have to face with in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC. When that government becomes too powerful, it needs to be removed. And if it's removed by force, like in Chile, when Pinochet was executed, or it's removed by skullduggery, as it was in Australia in 1975, it's the same outcome. Forty years later, we still have people writing and rewriting history, and the last attempt has been is to make it a personality issue between the Governor-General 
and the Chief Justice of the High Court and the Prime Minister. How extraordinarily dull. Let's you know call a spade a spade. The Whitlam Labor government was removed because of its radical reformist agenda, which attempted to put a little bit of power, a little bit of power, back in the hands of the people. So the 11th of November, four important things. One, the formation of the Ballarat Reform League, the organisation behind the Eureka Rebellion, 1854. The execution of Ned Kelly, 1880. Not just a common criminal, but a man and a gang who had support in regional Victoria because of police brutality and who wanted a different way of life. And again, it was a direct connection to the Eureka Rebellion. Then you've got the 11th of November, 1918, Armistice Day, when 62,000 young Australians died on the European killing fields in a war fought by workers at either end of a bank for the glory of God, king and country, and the 11th of November 1975, when a reformist government was illegally removed from office in this country and nobody has ever been held to account. The ruling classes continue. The corporate class and the investment class continue, you know, their little journeys. So... Mark the day. If you listen to this program the 11th of November, mark the day. If you miss this year, there's always next year and the year after and the year after because what we need to do is create, we need to create social, cultural events which highlight what's important to us, which highlight our history, which highlight our stories, which highlight there is another story in the Australian way of life. And the important thing is, Do you know that over 50% of Australians don't even know what the dismissal was? And that doesn't happen because, you know, people are stupid. It happens because it doesn't become part of Australian history. It doesn't become part of discussion. And that's what they want us to do. They want us to forget our past. They want us to forget our history. They want us to forget our heroes. They want us to forget pivotal moments in the development of a country which for a time attempted to achieve egalitarian ends. They want us to forget that. And the best way you forget that is by not mentioning it. And every time we mention these issues, it highlights the importance of that radical history and that we are not the first cab off the rank. There have been people for generations who have fought for the same things, who have fought, who have died, who have been forgotten, who've been ostracised, who've been expunged from the pages of history. And what we do at the Anarchist Institute is we attempt to bring that to the fore. For example, on the 3rd of December, join us for the... Join us at Ballarat. Yes, Ballarat. You can all come to good old Ballarat. Join us at the corner of Eureka and Stall Street in Ballarat at the Eureka Park. At the very site, at the very time, the Eureka Rebellion was put down in a sea of blood. And why do we celebrate the Eureka Rebellion? We celebrate its radical elements. It was based on four important ideas which are as important today as they were 161 years ago. Direct action, direct democracy, internationalism and solidarity. Ideas that encapsulated in the Eureka Oath, we swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. We, the people, swear by the Southern Cross. The Southern Cross was a symbol to these people who had come from the Northern Hemisphere that they were in the Southern Hemisphere. There's no Southern Cross in the, southern, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere. 
Direct action. What could be more direct than taking up arms to defend inalienable rights and liberties you believe you were born with? And we have a series of events from 4 a.m. to 10 p.m. from a dorm ceremony at Eureka Park to a dinner at the uh, Grapes Hotel at 121 Grant Street. Now, it's up to you. It's a great day. Take the day off. It's a Thursday. Take the day off. Take a long weekend. Come down to Ballarat. Join us. Every year we're involved in celebrations since 2002. We started the celebrations because, one, it's been obvious for the last three or four decades that the radical elements of the Eureka Rebellion have been removed from the historical accounts. Nobody speaks about it. And two, we went there in 2001 to join the celebrations. There were no celebrations in the city of Ballarat, a city which makes its money from the Eureka Rebellion, a city that has never flown the Eureka flag on the main flagpole on the Ballarat City Hall. So join us and reclaim that radical spirit and celebrate the elements of the Eureka Rebellion that are as important today as they were 161 years ago. So 4am, dawn ceremony, Eureka Park next to the old Eureka Memorial. 6am, breakfast at Eureka Hall. We don't cater. Bring your own food and drinks. This is not an event. This is a series of events which require active participation. 9am, we march from Eureka Park to Bakery Hill to reaffirm the Eureka Oath. 9.30 to 10.30am at Bakery Hill, what's left of it? Presentation of the Eureka Australia Day medals to six six activists who have in their lives encapsulated the ideas that are inherent in the Eureka Oath. At 11.30 at 11 a.m., the Eureka Stump Orations outside Ballarat Town Hall. 11.30, we walk to the old Ballarat Cemetery to pay our respect to all those who died in the Eureka Battle, bring flowers. Lunch, walk to the Museum of Democracy to look at the Eureka flag and discuss it. Uh, afternoon tea at the Eureka Park, the Eureka Annual Dinner. Now, the Eureka Annual Dinner, usually we have more people than we've got seats. There's only about 70 seats. If you want to sit down... You pay for your own drinks and meal. There's no cover charge. If you want a seat, book. 0439 395 489. And the entertainment is by the uh, Black Orchids String Band, the West Papuan Black Orchids String Band. So you want more information, go to anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can ring us on 0439 395 489 or you can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 305. And the guest speaker will be uh, Brett... Edgerton. He is the uh, head of the uh, Ballarat and Western Victorian Trades Hall. He's the, um, I think it's convener, whatever, I've forgotten his exact name. He's secretary of the unions of Ballarat and the Western region. And a topic, the role of the 18, 1854 Eureka Rebellion continues to play in the 21st century Australian trade union movement. If you can't make it, don't despair. Uh, things are the, the uh, dawn ceremony is broadcast on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne and uh, you can access that broadcast as it happens on the World Wide Web by going to 3cr.org.au. So that's a lot of issues and we've still got tons of issues to look at next week and the week after and then the week after. But more importantly, there's one person missing. There's one person missing from this little discussion and that's you, the listener, you. 
the person who's listened to the program, the person who's come into the program halfway through it, the person who says, well, that's a load of bullshit, or the person who says, that makes sense. You're the one missing. Because change comes from individuals getting together and ensuring that change occurs. So if you don't want your children to be treated as disposable garbage and your grandchildren to be treated treated as disposable garbage in a society where 80% of the population are basically removed from the decision-making process and removed from enjoying the fruits of the Commonwealth of this country, the Commonwealth of Australia, well, it's time to say enough is enough. It's time to say not one more cent to the private sector. It's time to join organisations like Public Interests before Corporate Interests. Go to the website, pipsy.net. Give us a ring, 0439 395 489. Come along to the Public Housing Forum, which has got all those political representatives from all levels of government, uh, Tuesday the 17th of November at uh, Mahogany House, Neighbourhood House, 26 Mahogany Street, North Frankston. Just turn up, 5pm to 7pm. It's important that people participate, become involved, do things. You can ring, leave messages on 0439 395 489. And if you ring to complain, I will ring back, but I'll ask you, what are you going to do? How can we help? And if you say, I just ring to complain, I'll say, ring up the ombudsman. All right? Contact your local politician, and I'm sure they won't be listening to you. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. Don't forget, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. But remember, remember, we are the people we've been waiting for. Don't rely on your local religious guru. Don't rely on your local parliamentary representative. Don't rely on the bureaucracy. Don't rely on anybody else. We are the people we've been waiting for. Historically, change only comes when people demand that change occurs. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. As I said before, the program is podcast. Go to 3cr.org.au. Want to get involved? A lot of things happening. Going to Katoomba on the 5th of December for the Pikeman's Dog celebrations. Then there's Lest We Forget on the uh, 20th of January for the Marble here and, and uh, Tanaminaway. Uh, and it goes on and on. And there's the uh, West Papuan Independence Movement get-together for the Rent Collective members and other people interested in the West Papuan on the uh, 13th of uh, December. Lots of things happening. Everybody's working towards Christmas. We're working towards making your life culturally enriched. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.